All right, so here we have a clear shift in what we've, we're seeing in the book of Luke. Up to now, uh, we've spent five Sundays looking at Jesus' response to the Pharisees um, acting like they were better than other people. And so we had um, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Those stories were all in the light of Jesus going to this Pharisee's house and uh, them trying to set Jesus up to heal him on the Sabbath. And so up to now, what we've seen throughout the book of Luke is Jesus essentially trying to say to these Pharisees, all right, you don't get it. But now we have a shift. Jesus actually says, um, he also, or Luke tells us, he also said to the disciples. So if you will, Jesus is teaching the Pharisees. He's talking to the crowd. And now he kind of goes, all right, guys, so look, let me tell you a story. And then he tells this parable. Now, I don't know if you listen closely to the parable, but it is a weird story. It doesn't Jihaw, it doesn't even sound like or feel like a parable that we're used to in the Bible. Just real quickly going over what happens is, is there's a guy who owns a lot of property and he has a manager who's over the property and there's nobody that we really can relate to. The manager is not the brightest bulb. I mean, the owner is not the brightest bulb in the bulb box. He, he goes to the guy and tells him, hey, I'm going to fire you. So go fix the book so I can fire you, which is not I'm just here to tell you, if any of you have anybody that works for you, if you've got to fire somebody, just go ahead and fire them. Don't say, hey, I'm going to fire you next Thursday at 2, so you want to get ready. And so, and then the guy who is getting fired doesn't act like much of a Christian because he goes and steals a bunch of money. This, this parable has always been one that I've always been like, what is going on here? In fact, when I was uh, younger and uh, my kids were little, I think Molly was about five, don't inhaled deeply, Molly. I'm not going to throw you guys under the bus. Um, Molly was about, uh, actually Molly was probably two or three. Emily was about five or six. And we were reading through the, the, the Bible with them at night before they went to bed. And I remember reading this parable. And Emily looked at me and said, so daddy, what does this mean? And I said, well, what I want you to do is I want you to think about it for a day. And you think about it tonight as you're going to sleep and you pray and ask God to open your eyes so that you can see uh, what God is trying to teach. And then tomorrow night, we'll talk about it and you can tell me what you think this is trying to teach. And she's like, you know, looking at me and, Daddy, you're so smart. And I'm like, yes, yes, child, I am. And um, so I, I leave the room and immediately, you know, go to the internet and go, dishonest manager parable, question mark, question mark, question mark, enter. Because this doesn't make any sense. This isn't like anything that we've ever read before. And so I hope today that uh, when you're reading this parable to your child, you can say, ah, I know what this is teaching. Let me teach you, my child. So let's break the story down first and get to where we understand what's going on. And then we will, um, we'll, we'll see if we can see what what to learn from it. So first, we have a rich man who had a manager. So this is probably, you know, a, a guy who lives away from where his land is. He lives in Gadsden. He's got 300 acres in Gunnersville. He's hired some manager to oversee it. He lives here. The guy lives there. He, we get that because it says, and charges were brought to him. So some of his buddies said, hey, you know the guy that you hired is ripping you off, right? So he's not around. He doesn't see it. And so he realizes that the guy's ripping him off. He calls the guy to him, like we said, and says, dude, uh, 
these charges have been brought to me, and so I'm going to fire you. And the text doesn't, the guy doesn't defend himself. He doesn't, he, he doesn't say, no, I didn't. The, the, the owner says, he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management so that you can no longer be manager. So the guy didn't defend himself. He doesn't say, no, I haven't. So clearly the guy has been ripping him off. And we're going to see in his actions that, that he's pretty good at ripping him off. And so the manager said to himself, what am I going to do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I love the Phillips translation of this which says, too sorry to work, too proud to beg. I know some people that would fit in that category, don't you? Too sorry to work but too proud to beg. So this guy says, okay, i got to come up with a plan now. What am I going to do? I can't get a job and I certainly am too proud to beg. And so this is his plan. This is what he does. He, he says, I've decided what to do so that when I rem, am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. Now, we've got to back up a little bit and understand something about this culture. Okay, first of all, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands, but most of us all here have seen The Godfather movie, right? In the very first one, there's a scene where the, the Godfather is sitting in a chair, and he's got a cat, and he's petting the cat. And he says to the guy, he says, look, this is my daughter's birthday. I'm not going to try to do that exit the whole time. Uh, this is my daughter's wedding. So I'm going to do a favor for you. But someday, and this day may never come, but someday I will ask you to do a favor for me. That's exactly what you have going on here. In fact, in Greek culture, those are called charis. There's the, that's the word that's used that says, I do somebody a favor with the expectation that someday I'm going to come calling and say, hey, remember that favor I did for you? Paul takes that Greek word charis, which is in English where we get the word Greek, uh, grace, and he flips it on his head and he talks about God's grace for us, which is a favor that not only is unmerited, we didn't do anything so that he owed us, but that we can't do anything to pay him back. And so Paul takes this idea of a favor, a charis, and turns it on his head. So this guy realizes that he's got to put some people into his debt, so he starts calling, he's got his books out, he starts calling people who owed the owner money. So he calls the first guy, and he says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly so nobody sees, and you write down 50. So 100 measures of oil is about 175 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. Um, th that's the yield of about 150 trees over a year. And so this deal lost the owner about 500 denarii or about $17,000 in today money, today's money. So what he does, he sits the books down. He says, hey, buddy, come here. Look, how much do you owe uh, my, my, my boss? And he goes, well, I owe him 100 barrels of, of, uh, of olive oil. And he goes, look, quick, before anybody's looking, write down 50. So I just saved you $17,000. Remember that. And then he calls another guy. And the guy comes in and he says to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures uh, of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. Now 100 measures of wheat is worth about 10 years wages. So about $350,000. And so him saving him 20% of that saved him about, because uh, I'm not a math guy, about $70,000. So this guy uh, just robbed, so $70,000 and $17,000, $87,000 from his boss. 
So as we're reading this story, this is a lot of money. This is a lot of uh, cash that's changing hands so that this guy who is too sorry to work, too proud to beg, can set other people up to like him. In my mind, I'm thinking the boss is going to come in, find out what happens, and, you know, cast him into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, right? Am I the only one that expects that's going to happen? Listen to what the text says. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What? So the boss comes in and says, so you've, you've done what now? $100,000. Dude, you are smart. It would be like if, if somebody in an accounting firm created a fake employee and started paying that fake employee and pocketing the money, and then when the company found out, it goes, dang, you are good with books. We're going to put you over finance. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. So he commends him. And so Jesus speaks now. Now he stepped out of the story. And Jesus speaks and says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now i got to say, now you understand why I'm sitting there with Emily on the side of the bench. She goes, Daddy, what does this mean? And I'm like, baby, I want you to pray about this and think about it. And I'm going, what in the world? All right, so I've already used this illustration that this is going to help us get started, um, but I'm going to use it again because I can't find anything else and I can't think of anything else, and, and Ann told me it was a good illustration, so Ann, come here for a minute. I'm going to use you, sorry. All right, so if this yarn represents our existence, and we'll say an inch of it is 10 years, so 10 20, 30, here's where I am now, 40, old people, 50, 60, 70. So that's your life. That's your lifespan over 70 years. And what you do in this life, according to the book of Matthew that says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth that moth and rust corrupt, that thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. So this is the life that you live here on earth. Here's your funeral, a little bitty short spot. Everybody cries. If we're honest with ourselves, 90, uh, wait, 100, 110, 120, 130, 140, 150, out here, nobody's going to know who you are. How many here know what your great-great-grandfather's name is? Even if you know who he is, he's just a name in a family Bible. You have no idea what he liked, what his favorite foods were, what he liked to do with his time. It's just gone. But his existence, the Bible tells us that we are indestructible. Now, some people say humans are eternal, and that's not true because we have a beginning. I mean, you were born here. But we're indestructible, which means that for all of eternity, you will have a consciousness. You will either spend eternity in heaven or hell. And what you do in this 70 years, or ever how long you live, even if you live to be 100, maybe if you're William, you get to live to be 120. Even if that's true, what you do in this life is setting you up for all eternity, for the rest of eternity, 
millennia upon millennia, centuries upon centuries, thousands upon thousands of years, you will spend eternity either in white, hot, passionate praise of your God or in a hell created for the devil and his angels. Jesus, when he meets humanity on that day, has one of two things he says. Well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you cursed. I don't know you. There is no, well, you went to church. You didn't beat your wife. You didn't stray drunk the whole time. I guess we'll let you slide in. So for this 70 years, way down here, you are building your eternity forever. Now, when I was in the Marine Corps, I had this mantra that I said to myself. I'd say we had a run. They said, we're going to run five miles. I would say to myself, I can do anything for an hour. I got to get through this hour. I can do anything for an hour. Right? We all done that. Not necessarily running. I can look around the room and see some of you ain't never ran. But when you're doing something, you got a job, you got a situation that you got to be in, you're, you're at a, a place that, that stinks. You go to a, a funeral or a boring wedding or a thing, and you're like, I can do this for an hour. Oh, my gosh. But at the end of that hour, I'm going to reward myself. Right? What Jesus is saying is, is remember that all of eternity, you're building up for yourselves treasures in the 70 years that you're here. Hook yourself up. The world knows how to hook itself up. This guy was smart enough to say, I'm going to take a little bit here so that his life would be good. And Jesus is saying, you in this life are building out your eternity. So why focus on this little period of time? Why do everything so that you're comfortable in this 70 years? Jesus is saying, that's stupid. Why not be laying up for yourselves treasures on earth? There's a, I read a story, and I wish it was attributed of who said it, but I, uh, the, the story is written by G.K. Chesterton, and he said that there was a rich man in his city who had given some money to build an orphanage, and soon after he had given this amount of money, um, he, the stock market crash occurred. Something occurred where he lost everything, and the newspaper man ask him do you if you had known then what you know now would you have kept that money and he said no if I knew then what I knew now I would have given it all away that's the point Jesus is trying to make and it's not just talking about money I'm not sitting here please don't hear me sitting here saying give all a bunch of money to the church I'm saying don't waste your life God's given you one life God's given you one opportunity to hook yourself up for eternity, to make sure that you spend eternity experiencing joy indescribable, so much so that the Bible is groping to explain the excitement and the joy and the happiness that we will experience. Why spend your time here Focus instead on having one night of bliss, one day of excitement. Why not burn your life out 
in service for your king. So the first point that Jesus is making, and Anne, you can, you can sit down. I'm, well, you already sat down. See, she's smart. That's why I married her. So Jesus is making three points. The first one we've already gone over. Make friend for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, and notice that Jesus says when it fails, if your God is money, it will fail. And I will even, as an aside, and this is for free, you don't have to pay for it or anything. If you come to God for money, God is not your God, money is. If you come to God for health, God is not your God, health is. If you come to God looking for what he can do for you, you're missing the point of coming to God. That's for free. That's, but Jesus says, make friend for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, and it will fail, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. And again, in Matthew 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So the first, the first point Jesus is trying to make is in our lives, during your 70 years, we need to be focused on what we're doing, what we're doing with our time, what we're doing with our money, what we're doing with our energies, and remember that we need to serve him. The second thing he's talking about in this parable is stewardship. Jesus said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Jesus clearly is not selling this, telling us this parable as a way to say that this... Oh, but that's lovely. Sorry about that. You know, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Alabama has turned into a hotbed for allergies. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. Can we thank God for the rain? Um, now I'm just, I don't know what we're talking about. Stewardship. Okay, so... He's not trying to say that this dishonest guy's doing a good job. He's simply telling us a story as it happens. Should it be shocking information to us that people steal stuff? I mean, everybody in this room, I guarantee you got locks on your doors. You know that people steal stuff. And so Jesus is saying that we as believers should be good stewards, that we should take care of the things that God has given us, that we should, now here's an example of that. One of the principles that's laid out in the New Testament that Christians are supposed to do is hospitality, which is a way for us to use the home that God has given you to honor him. That we are commanded to, and whenever Jesus talks to the seven churches, he says to them, I've heard that you took care of the saints who were there. I've heard that. And the idea of hospitality is something that is lost in our culture. I saw a comedian one, not too long ago talking about how when he was a kid, that if somebody came to the door and knocked on the door, that, you, that everybody was excited. Everybody's like, who's here? And they would go look at the door, and everybody's like, oh, hey, Jim, how are you? And shake their hand, and that mom would always have a cake that was set aside, and that's for company. What's, oh, cake, nope, mm-mm, that's for company. And then company would come over, and you'd sit around and talk, and then they'd leave. And then in today's world, if somebody knocks on the door, everybody hides and cuts the lots off. People start looking on their phone to see if they got warrants. Why is there somebody here? Who's here? What in the world's going on? Why is somebody here? I didn't invite anybody over. Did you invite anybody over? I didn't invite anybody over. But your home is just one example that God has given you a place so that you can use that to glorify him. God's given you 
all of the resources that you have, not so that you can just get resources. Okay, here's an example of that. Everybody in here has talents. You all have value where you're good at something. You may be good at, at talking to people when, when they're upset. You may be the opposite of that, like I am, talk, talking to people and making them upset. You may, you may be good at working on a car. You may be good. I don't know what you're good at. You know what you're good at. Now, Paul says that the gifts that you have, the things that you, you're good at, the, the things that spiritually you're good at, the things that emotionally you're good at, the gifts that you had were given to you for the edification of the church. The reason you were given the gifts that you were was not so that you could sit around and go, I'm awesome, but so that you could use them to build up other believers. Now, whether you believe this or not, there are people in this room that I cannot reach. They're going through some kind of issue. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're excited. Maybe they're having going. I cannot reach them with the gospel. I can't reach them with God's word just because their personalities clash. Maybe they don't want to hear what I have to say. Maybe because I'm the preacher, they don't want to talk to me. They feel like they're getting called to the principal's office. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. But there are people that you can reach that I can't because God's given you gifts. God's made you amazing in some area. And if you aren't using those gifts for what God has given them to you for, you're squandering them. Don't do that. He say, what Jesus is saying here is God's given you these things. And so many people in their heart go, well, I'm not really that good at stuff. I mean, there are, are people that are sitting in this audience that it is a shame that you're not singing in that choir. Now, I'm not one of those people. They're clearly, that if I ever I were to go to Brian and say, Brian, I think God's called me to sing, he would look me square in the face and say, son, that was a wrong number. Because <laughs> God ain't called you to sing. But there are people in here that that's a gift that God's given you. And when I ask you, hey, weren't you in the choir? I heard you sing in the choir over here. You go, well, I'm just, I don't know. Well, you know what? That's a weird form of pride. That you won't use God's gifts because you think you're not good enough. There are people in here that God has given you the gift to love on people, that you can talk to people. And we've talked about before that I am that person who could walk up to somebody and say, hey, you look nice today, and they're going to go, why, what are you saying? You're saying that yesterday I wasn't looking good? Is that what you're trying to say? Because I'm mad at you. My husband's calling you. That's not my gift. There are people, and I've, I've used his example, and I'll use him again, Ben Huff, I, he amazes me. He can go up to somebody and say, you know what, you're the biggest idiot I've ever seen in my life. Stop doing that. And people go, well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And I'm saying, they go, What? That's a gift. Don't throw your gifts away. God made you. God made you the way he made you. He called you. And that's one of the things that's really hard for us to get in the church is we think God so loved the world and we think God loved the world. He does. But it's got to break down on an individual level. Listen to me. God loves you. God saved you. God saved you as an individual. If you are the only person that ever existed, God loves you. And he made you for a unique, specific purpose. And Jesus is saying here, don't waste that. Don't just sit around and hold it. Use it for what God made you to do and give it away. 
And you'll find that as you're giving things away, as you're throwing yourself out there, you're doing things you don't feel comfortable, you're giving yourself away to other people, what you'll find is you accident upon your own happiness. So the first lesson that we get from this is focus. We need to be as believers, have laser-like focus on serving our king. The second thing that we see here is we need to be good stewards, good managers of the gifts that God has given us. And finally, Jesus does break it down to money. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And then, just in case we're not bright enough to get it, he says, you cannot serve God and money. I have always, you know, I can sit here and point fingers at at other people that I've seen in life and people who have money and are miserable, but I can just look at my own life. When I was, Ann and I were first married, um, we were broke. We were broker than broke. Uh, we rented an apartment over on Valley Avenue. Uh, if you're coming up by Vulcan um, and you turn down Valley Avenue, if you look up to the right, there are these brick apartments that um, were just this side of the projects. Um, in fact, it was at one point while we were living there, one of the windows got shot out because somebody was driving down Valley Avenue shooting at the red lights and shot out one of our windows. So this was some quality, quality place. And so we move in, and I'd never really, I'd rented an apartment in Jacksonville, but I'd never really rented an apartment away from my parents. And so I, we save up and scrape up enough money. We've got like, you know, rent was like 300 bucks a month, and you had to do a month's deposit. So we, we've got the money, and we pay. And then I go to get the power turned on, and they look at my credit, which is non-existent, and they go, well, you got to put in like a $500 deposit. I'm like, wait, no, what? What, what is this? And then you go to gas, and they're like, well, we need a $300 deposit. And everybody wants a deposit. And I am stupid, so I hadn't planned for that. And so we were able to borrow from my parents or somehow get the deposit for cash, but we didn't have the deposit for gas. And so we go a full, solid, probably two months without any hot water because we didn't have the money for the deposit for gas. And so we took cold showers and, and uh, um, just didn't, we didn't have gas. Thankfully, it was fall, so it didn't, didn't really matter heat-wise. But, um, and I, I think I've said before, I was sneaking to... Sanford and taking hot showers there anyway, so it didn't really bother me that much. Sorry, Ann. Um, so we didn't have any money. I remember multiple nights uh, for date night. We literally, this is not figuratively, this is literally, we dug in couch cushions and ashtrays and got like $1.75 so we could go get two burritos from Taco Bell. And you know what? We, we were happy. We were too dumb to know we were poor, I guess. We were happy. We some, Somehow in that apartment complex, somebody in the complex ended up getting cable, and we ended up with free cable. It wasn't like I tried to do it. In fact, I remember our rabbit ears had gotten so jacked up that I could not get pick up a channel. And so I had hooked the cable up thinking that somehow with the copper lines it would make a fake antenna, and we had cable. And it's like, thank you, God. The blessings rain down. And so we would, we would sit. And we didn't have any kids. We jokingly refer to this as the time when we were single. We were single. And we didn't have kids. And so we would sit around and all weekend just watch some too, stupid TV show and eat Taco Bell. And just hang out together. And we were totally happy. We were completely fine. 
I remember the first time we had enough money to look for a house. I went to the real estate agent. And I said, I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't much. So we, we, got, we can afford a mortgage for $40,000 or whatever it was. And, and that's all we could afford. That's all we got. The real estate agent, of course, the first house they take us to is, now this one's a little over your budget. Susie, why do they do that? It's a little over your budget, but I think, I think you can make this work. And then you get a mortgage and you get all these bills and you get kids that are running around that are going, mama, 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 mother, mama, mama, mother, mother, mom, 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 mom. And then we didn't need money to make us happy. And if you're running after money so that you can get a boat and you can get a boat house and you can get a new car and you can get a new truck and you can get a new and you can get this and you can get that whatever your thing is and I, I always hesitate to pick something because I know it's going to make one person mad because they're like well ain't nothing wrong with my boat I see you out there riding on it on Saturdays and then there's somebody over here who's going to say I don't have a problem with boats so I'm more spiritual <laughs> so it's not about the thing it's about where your heart is and what it's going after and if you're living your life for stuff and you're living your life for money and you're living your life so that you have, I mean, everybody in America, I, I watch Ford just became a piece of junk because they came out with an iWatch 5. And so everybody's like, well, mine didn't have always on this piece of crap. And so if we're always running after that, you're never going to be happy. You're either going to be working so many hours to have your stuff that you can't enjoy it or you're just going to be miserable because that guy's got more stuff than me. We're never going to attain. And so what Jesus is saying is, you've got to choose whether you're going to live your life. And I'm just, I'm going to be real honest with you here. I had to decide a long time ago who I was going to serve. And I literally think to myself, how does this decision impact when I meet Jesus, would he look at this and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or would he look at this decision and say, son, you're acting like you don't even know me. That's how you serve. That's how you serve your master. And if your master is money, it can't be God. I've known people who had more money than I will ever make and it was clear in their lives that they weren't serving money because they were giving it away as fast as they could get it. Or they were using what the resources they had to glorify him. They weren't serving money. There are people that make $12,000 a year that are serving money. It isn't about an amount. It isn't about what you've got. It's about where your heart is. And so as we come to a time of invitation and we look at this, I want you to look into your heart who do you serve? Who is your master? Who's got control of you? Is it God? Is it stuff? Is it money? Because in the words of the great theologian Bob Dylan, you're going to serve somebody. Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, as we've looked at a confusing, difficult to understand parable, I pray, God, oh God, I pray that you would apply it to my heart. God, I pray that you would apply it to the heart of this congregation. God, I pray that you would use this simple, silly offering of a sermon to glorify you. God, I pray that we would see that we must serve someone, that we do serve someone. 
God, I pray that we would make a conscious decision for that someone to be you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you had the guts to say the hard things. And Lord, I pray that we would honor you and follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.